Come on in, church. Would you stand with me? We have an opportunity to be able to lay whatever's heavy on our hearts at the feet of Jesus, for he is victorious. Let's declare. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. Yes, you do. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Yes, thank you, Lord. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, so when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you.
150, it talks about letting the everything that has breath praise the Lord. So would you please just sing this morning with me as we praise our Heavenly Father. Who else would rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine?
morning. Y'all can be seated. My name is Jim Moyer. I'm one of the pastors here at Camp CC, the Pastor Discipleship and Family Ministry. And we're entering now into a time of worship of both song and uh, through communion. So Jesus, during the Passover meal with his disciples, took bread. He said, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So today, we're continuing this tradition, which reminds us of God's love for us. It is interesting, though, that we humans need reminding of the most significant act of love in our history. But I confess, I need reminding. I get busy. I get worried, I get stressed, I forget. I replace important things in my life with the urgent. And if I had to guess, I bet some of you, maybe most of you, are in this boat with me. We need reminding of these important eternal truths. So God asks us to stop the craziness for a moment and remember. We remember that God really loves us. We remember that his mercy is enough. His grace sufficient. Let's take this moment to remember that the cross has spoken. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord. And let us remember this is our hope our only hope so i invite you to think of these things these truths as you prepare your hearts for communion the elements of communion the bread and the juice are at the top of this aisle over here and this aisle over here and in the next few minutes we will sing two more songs and i invite you after you're ready you prepared your heart to come forward and pick up the elements the juice and the bread and then come up along the stage and eat and drink if you're here with your family I'd encourage you to take the elements together if you're mobility challenged it'd be difficult to come down here no worries our ushers would be happy to serve you in your seats just get their attention as they're going through the aisles and then um, when you are done the the uh, baskets are up here on the stage for the cups when, you, when you've used those. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a love so perfect that you would send your son that we could be reconciled with you. Indeed, that we could become part of your family. And Father, thank you for continuing to shower us in this love even as we forget would you do your work in us this morning and we pray this in jesus name amen
the valley, with me in the fire, with me in the storm. Let all my life testify. Hallelujah. We are not alone. God really loves us.
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad you are with us today. If you're out in the patio, welcome. If you're online, welcome. If you're in the the worship room, special welcome to you. We love you guys. We're just glad that you are here today. I don't know if you noticed, those of you guys who are in the building on campus today, when you walked in the lobby, there were some pictures out there uh, that look a little different than what we have right now. Has anybody noticed that? Uh, If you haven't, you want to go out there today before you leave today and check those pictures out. We're not going to be saying much about those uh, until the end of this month, but take a look at them. I'll be out there. Kenny's out there. We can answer questions for you. Kind of a vision for the future of our church, and it's exciting time to be part of Cameroon Community Church. So uh, make sure you take a look at those before you leave today, and uh, don't miss October 30th, November 6th, November 13th, and November 20th. Mark it on your calendars. You're not going to want it. That's when we're going to be talking about that. We'll do the whole series. We'll be on what the preferred future, the vision of our church. So we want to be back for those weeks. If you have a vacation, cancel it. That's the kind of authority I have around here. All right, well, welcome to our church. Uh, Listen, today I want to talk to you about our spiritual obligation to one another. I don't know if you know this, but if you're in the fold as a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, uh, there comes with certain obligations we have toward each other. I have some obligation towards you. You have some obligations towards me. I have some responsibilities towards you. You have some responsibilities towards each other, and you have some responsibilities towards me as well. It goes both ways. It's part of being a Christ follower. By virtue of the fact that you know Christ, you have some expectations or responsibilities. You might even call them obligations. And and let me see if I can illustrate what I mean. You know, I think I told you all that in July, I went to go um, to my 25th high school reunion in Northern California. Uh, I'm way too young to have a 25th high school reunion, I know. And, uh, and, and, and I went and, uh, you know, to meet folks there. And, you know, people say when you go to these things, the only people who show up are people who are really proud of their lives and want to show off what they've amounted to or something of that nature. You know? And there were some of that. There were some people there that obviously had done really well for themselves and had businesses that were flourishing and, and were touting some of those things. And that was, there was some of that there. Uh, there was also some families there that I was really surprised. More of my, uh, you know, you know, the students that I graduated from high school, uh, more of them adopted children in need than I would have ever expected. You know, we adopted, and I connected with like two or three other families that had chosen to adopt as well, and so, you know, you you have discussions about that type of thing, and you obviously have a like-heartedness there, and I grew, I went to a Christian high school. It was a, there's only about 65 of us who graduated. It was a small Christian high school at the time, and and at the time, I just became a believer. I had gone from a non-believer to a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, and I was learning everything for the first time, kind of my sophomore year in high school. And so when I became a senior, I'm only two years in the faith, and uh, we graduated together. And I really went for one person. And, and lo and behold, he was there. And, and it was like one of those times, I, I went straight to him, I want to let you know, I, you know, I planned myself out of the pulpit, so I'm not preaching that weekend. And I flew up here because I wanted to see you. I wanted to see how you were doing. You're the whole reason I came. And I think it actually kind of touched the guy. He was like, wow, I didn't realize that you would do that for me. And, and even when I was 17 years old, I already had like a pastoral heart. I, I already had a call of God. I already knew what I was going to do. I was just about getting trained. But that was just something that was a part of the way things went. I cared for this guy. I remember what he was doing when we were seniors in high school. He wasn't living for the Lord. He was off doing his own thing. And I was concerned about him. And so I came back, and I think it touched him. And he said to me, he said, you know, Dave, I I obviously was making my own decisions when we were in high school. I was obviously doing my own thing when we were in high school. 
And, um, you know, I end up fathering some children, you know, to, to women who are not my wife, that kind of thing. And, and he said, you know, um, but I just drove my youngest daughter to ASU, and I just got her into her dorm last week. My last one, and I got her into school, and she's off doing her thing, and I've been working my butt off to pay off all the expenses for her college. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. You know, when we were in high school, he was the kind of guy you thought maybe he would shrug that obligation and be like, no, I don't need it. Whatever, they'll figure it out on their own. He kind of, if he followed his reputation, maybe that's what he would have done. But instead he grew up, became a man, was like, no, I'm gonna take care of my kids. And I just dropped her off at the university and I'm working my butt off to pay off her schooling. Man, that's so cool. Here's a man, father, you know, maybe uh, acted in ways that he's not so excited about 25 years later, but taking care of his obligations, taking care of his obligations. Then he told me, he says, you know, Dave, you're in the ministry and whatnot. He says, you know, I think maybe God wants to use me to work with kids, to work with like teenagers. If I could get them to not be a knucklehead like I was a knucklehead, Maybe that would be a good thing. And I said, don't you ever stop that dream and don't you stop that vision. You go do it. Because you could reach them in a way that I could never reach them. We need folks like you to use their stories, all of their stories, and say not in spite of this story, but because of this story, God wants to do this. So I went home and I was like, man, that's awesome. I came from one guy. He's doing well. He's living for the Lord. He is living up to his obligations. And I bring this up because just like a father has an obligation to his child, so do Christians have obligations to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Although we don't think of it that way. We, we, we understand like the father, the son thing, absolutely. Like you father them, you need to raise them. We get that, that's like, that's a responsibility, that's your obligation, that's the way it should be. But then when we cross over into the brother sisterhood of Christ, in the community of Christ, in the church. I'm not sure that people go today and say, you know what, I have responsibilities to the person in the other aisle over there. I'm not sure that they say, I- I'm here to, to, to be in that person's life. Like, they have a responsibility towards me and I have a responsibility towards them. They have an ob- obligation as a brother and sister in Christ to me and I have an obligation as a brother and sister in Christ to them. I'm not sure we do that. And so today we're going to dive into those obligations a little more in depth and discuss how our church endeavors to accomplish such things. If you've been here for the last month or so, we've been in this series called uh, In the Works. We're all in the works. We're all in progress. And we're just talking about our values as a church. Why are we here? How are we here? What are we doing? How are we going to do those things? And we're going to talk about this one more in depth. What are some obligations as a believer in Christ that I have towards you and you have towards me? How concerned is God about how we interact with one another? And what are his expectations for us in that area? If we were to list out the biblical obligations towards one another, what categories would he find? And if we were to look at some themes in scripture about this idea of how God expects our relationship towards one another, what would we find? And so we're going to dive into that idea today. Now, this is important, the message where I usually say, turn to your Bible, to this 
chapter and verse. But we're going to go through so many passages of Scripture today that I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to direct you to the screens because we have so—it's going to be like a fire hose of Bible today, all right? Have you ever seen like a fire department hook up to the fire hydrant and you see the water come out of that thing, you know, and, and the, the, the pressure that's coming? That's what it's going to feel like today, but I promise you I'll direct your eyes to where we need to be, but just— think of it that way today. It's going to be kind of a little crazy. I entitled the message today, There is no I in community. There's no I in community. You've heard the phrase before, there's no I in team. Like coaches will all say, there's no I in team. We got to be a team together. There's no I in team. And then some wise guy will go, yeah, but there's a me in team. And then you kick him off the team and then he's not a problem anymore. And so I entitled the message, there's no I in community. The irony I know is that there is an I in community, but if you're thinking about that, you miss the whole point. There's no I. We are to be a community together of people, and there's no I in community. Everybody say to me, there's no I in community. <laughs> I just got you guys to believe a lie. All right. Overarching question today is what are some biblical obligations that every Christ follower should embody? We're going to look at three, three categories today. What are some biblical obligations, responsibilities? They're, they're not suggested. They're not negotiable according to the text that every Christ follower should embody. And the first thing we're going to see is that there is an action-oriented love that is expected of us. Like, I should have a love towards you, and you should have a love towards me. But this is not just like, I love you, yeah, I love you, see you later, or yeah, I love you, goodbye. No, 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 no. No, it's more than words. It's action-oriented love. Like, it's love that leads to action. Love is a verb in the Bible. It always is doing something. It's not just an ethereal concept that we say to make people feel good. You see the difference? Action-oriented love. Let's look at some of these passages together. And while we go through these passages, I want you to highlight in your brain, since there's so many of them, fire hose, right? I want you to highlight in your brain whenever it says one another. I want you to just, if you could just do a mental highlight circle, underline in your mind, one another over all the passages that we look today. In fact, these passages are considered the one another passages of the Bible. All right, so we're going to look at these together. Action-oriented love is expected of us. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. It says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another, outdo one another and showing honor. Right there, you can see the action that's associated with love. Let's go to the next one. First Peter chapter 1 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love what? There it is here. One another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That this is what he produces in you. He produces love. Earnest love. We'll keep on going. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may your God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for whom? One another and for all as we do for you so that you may establish in your hearts a blameless as a holiness before God the Father until the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. There should be an action-oriented love. We'll go to John 13. It keeps on going. A new commandment I give you that you would what? Love one another just as I have loved you, so also you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for who? It's not love for the outsider. It's not love for those who are in the world. We should do that as well. We should evangelize them. But they'll know that we're his children when we love each other. 
If you're sitting on this side of the room because you don't want to sit by that person on that side of the room, you've missed the concept. There is a genuine love for each other. Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 1, Therefore, uh, a prisoner, uh, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. What does that look like? With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with who? One another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. Again, there's an action behind love. I'm so eager to embrace the unity of the body that I'm willing to to be patient and bear up with you in love so we can have the bond of peace. Last one in Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. So what does that love turn into? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What are some biblical obligations that every Christ follower should embody? The first one is action-oriented love. You can't read these passages and come to any other conclusion. It's unmistakable that Christ followers are supposed to love each other. He said in, I think it was John 13, a new command I give you. What's new about this command? There's plenty of Old Testament commands that talk about love. It's not like love's a new concept in the New Testament. What is new about this command? What's new about this command is the manner by which Christ demonstrates that love to them in John chapter 13. It's action-oriented. It's not love in name only. It's not love by words only. It's action only. In fact, he's going to die for his disciples. And in John 13, prior to him saying that, guess what he does? He washes their feet. Let me demonstrate this love that I'm talking about. You should have had a servant wash my feet. I'm the king of the universe, but instead I'm going to wash yours. Service-oriented, action-oriented love that leads to action, not just word alone. We're supposed to love each other. It's a fundamental thing about Christians that is supposed to be the thing that the world notices about us. Wow. I don't get how two people who don't have the same bloodline care about each other that much. How do these two entities, even though they didn't grow up together, they have the same grandmother, they have the same parents, how do they commune almost like their family? God must be behind that. Now again, I don't say this because we're at a deficit for this. I'm just telling you what we're trying to embody and what we endeavor to do. I think actually we do a great job of loving each other. Loving the outsider, loving the insider. I think that's a wonderful thing. It's one of our values. We want to be about being family deep. It's obvious that uh, we would love each other, but it's also a truth that we should serve one another, that that, that love should come with a hospitality and a service towards one another. Uh, The second one, what are some biblical obligations that every Christ follower should embody? Hospitable service. Hospitable service. Like this love leads me to serve you. It's a love that leads you to serve me. And by the way, if I stop you from serving me, then I'm not being loving. Some people have, I'll do anything for you, but I can't receive anything. Well, then you are having a complication with love and what God's called you to. Let people serve you. Let people be hospitable to you. Just like you are hospitable to them and service of them, you should allow them to be for you. It's one of the obligations of the text. And if you stop people from their obligation, then you are the dam that stops God in their lives. Let's go to some passages. First Peter chapter 4 says this. Show hospitality to who? 
one another without grumbling as each has their gift. Use it to serve one another as God's stewards, as good stewards of God's varied grace. We'll continue, John 13, we saw this a little early as well. If then the Lord and your teacher has washed your feet, you ought also to do wash others' feet. For I've given you example that you should do just as I've done to you. Again, service-oriented. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You see that? If one member suffers, then all suffer. If one member is honored, then we rejoice together. I care for you with the same amount of care that everybody else has the same amount of care. You suffer, I suffer. You rejoice, I rejoice. We rejoice together. We're all in this together. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That would be things that would be counterintuitive to what God would have you do, living by the flesh, living in sin. But through love, serve one another. Don't don't get involved in all the fleshly, carnal things in, in, in relationships. Serve one another out of love. Romans chapter 15 says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans chapter 12 says, Live in harmony with who? One another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the idea that, hey, there isn't like different tiers of people. Well, I associate with these folks, but I don't associate with these folks. If you're of a certain sexual economic class, then I'll hang out with you. If you vote a certain way, then I'll hang out with you. If you look a certain way, have a different pigment in your skin, then I'll hang out. Those are all things that are not congruent with the love of God. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty that you won't associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. James chapter 2, this is a really good one, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality. Don't show favoritism, according to some translations, as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Interestingly enough, in, in, in James chapter 2, what was happening was they were setting aside seats for the higher social economic class. I want you to visualize something for me. Imagine coming to church on Sunday at Camarillo Community Church, and the first two rows were made of the gold-plated seats. You know right? And, and, and if you give a certain amount every year, you get to sit in the gold-plated seats. And so, and then that will make it even better for you. Uh, you. You don't need to come in until the second song, and everybody will also be in their seats, and in the second song, we will put the light on you as you walk down the center aisle, and you hit your gold-plated seats. And everybody will stand and applaud for the people who are sitting in the gold-plated seats, all because they give more, as if this is like a country club or something, and if you, you, you know, if you have the right ticket, you get, you know, what, 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 what in the world? He said, he said don't do that. Don't do that. You don't, you don't give. You, you should be equal. Every, we saw in the earlier passage having the same concern for everyone. Everyone. You don't give preference based on anything. There's no VIP section in the church. Favoritism easily becomes discrimination. We're to have an equal concern for one another, as we just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 20, or chapter 12, verse 25. We're to accept each other as Christ accepted us. Wasn't based on your social economic status. Wasn't based on your ethnicity. Wasn't based on your history. It was based on the blood of Christ, and it's available to all. That's how we're supposed to be accepting as well. 
Does God care about your ethnicity? No. Does God care about your social economic standing? No. God can care less about your pocketbook or the color of your skin. And so should we. You know, um, I had a friend years ago. He's a great friend. Uh, he's a black guy named Jermaine. And I don't say he's black because I don't introduce stories like that, but it's important to the story. And so he's a black name named Jermaine, and he would call me every once in a while. And actually, we were great friends. We went to the same church. Our kids grew up together, so to speak, same age kind of uh, lifespan. We went to theme parks together. We, we were just great friends. In fact, he became my real estate agent at one point. So he calls me up, and he leaves me a voicemail. Uh, oftentimes, if I'm in a meeting, I want that person to feel so you know, like they're so important to me that I won't pick up the phone. I'll just let it go to voicemail. He leaves me a voicemail. He says, hey, hey, uh, Pastor Dave, Big Dave, it's Jermaine. It's Jermaine calling you. Uh, and he has his little way. He goes, hey, you know, it's February. It's Black History Month. I'm your black friend, so I'm sure you're going to call me on Black History Month. I was like, what? He would do this. He's like, I'm your black friend, so you got to call me on Black History Month. And I'm like, call, I go, and I call him back, go, Jermaine, I'm calling you back, but not because it's Black History Month. I'm calling you back because I love you, and you're a brother in Christ. And, and, and you know, he's, I'm just messing with you, Pastor. I'm just messing with you. I call, I call my best friends up in February, and I say, I know you're going to call me. It's Black History Month. He's like, I do it to everybody, you know. And he, he just, he just a, a black, but you know why it was so surprising to me? Because I never really associated my mind that he's black. He was just a brother in Christ. He's a brother in Christ to me. That's all it meant. Our kids would hang out together. We, would, we got invited over to a family uh, uh, Easter dinner one time. We went over there and had a blast with his entire family. There wasn't anything external differences. In the house of God, there's no pigment of skin color. There isn't socioeconomic status. And by the way, I gotta tell you, I love this church in that sense. We have some wonderful people that have been blessed by God financially who use that blessing to generously help people who are really in trouble. And that's beautiful. You can only find that in the house of God. And by the way, when you find that in the house of God, people go, wait a second, that's not normal. There's something going on here. I bet you God's involved with this. That's what it says in John, the book of John. They'll know your love for me when you love each other. Well, we should have love in our hearts. We should have a hospitable service on our hands. And lastly, and probably the most challenging, we should have discipleship as our discipline. We should have discipleship as our discipline. I, there is a responsibility for me to disciple you, and there's a responsibility for you to disciple me. I'm to be in your life spiritually, and you're to be in my life spiritually. We're supposed to be going to this together. You're not to be a lone ranger. I'm not to be a lone ranger. We are to like uh, transparently and vulnerably uh, walk together in a discipleship relationship. How are we, how are some, what are some biblical obligations for every Christ follower to embody faithful discipleship? I want you to see this is by far the most challenging part of this message. I want you to see these Bible verses that talk about this. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
We're to address each other in a certain way, in a way that would encourage each other, that would exhort each other, that would, that, that would challenge each other with psalms and hymns. Is bring a Bible verse with you so you can challenge your brother so he can get to the next step, and then he challenges you, and you get to the next step, and we just keep on growing in Christ together. We address each other with these things. By the way, it's not saying the pastor addresses you with these things. No, you are to address each other with these things. Let's go to Colossians, another passage very similar. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Why would you need that so you can teach and admonish who one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God we're supposed to come ready richly being letting the word of God kind of kind of marinate in our heart and soul so we have a word to give to each other in admonition of each other in 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 teaching each other and then we sing together and by the way it's not the worship team that sings in this text we sing in this text right Hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. That is describing the gathering of the saints and what we should be all about. Well, you don't believe me, so we'll keep on going. Let's go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter. By the way, that's a joke. Some people, some people don't get that kind of stuff. It's just a, it's just a joke. You do believe me. You better believe me. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another. You've got to be able to talk to each other and interact with each other for this to happen. And build one each other. We'll build one another up just as you are doing. Like there's an expectation that you would rub shoulders with somebody else in the faith. And because of that rubbing together that you would grow in your faith for the Lord. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. It says, but exhort one another every day. Now we're, the words are getting stronger. As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When I'm in your life exhorting you to live this life, there may be something in that relationship that stops you from getting a hardening that comes over your heart. Imagine like, like, a, like, a, like a, a wall of cement over your heart to where you don't care anymore. That's what he's talking about, having a hardness, hardened, hardened heart towards sinfulness. When you have somebody in your life who's exhorting you, that doesn't happen. But it requires relationship. That we'd be walking together in the midst of that. I exhort you. Every day, you exhort me every day. We walk towards this together. We'll keep on going. There's so many passages. Zechariah chapter 7 says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to who? One another. Be kind to each other. Have mercy for one another. Have compassion for one another. Not just judgmentalism. There are times when you find a brother or sister in the faith who they're caught in sin. Are they repentant? If they're repentant, you come with mercy and compassion. Let's walk together and let's get through this together. If they're not repentant, then sure, we got to go in truth and say, hey, you're in sin. But not judgmentalism, as if we never struggled with anything in our lives. Of course we have. We think of the heroes in the scriptures and how they have miserable failures, and yet at the same time they're described as a guy who has a heart for God, a man after God's own heart. There is a possibility for us to walk in Christ and make some big mistakes, and we need our brothers and sisters to lift us up and carry us forward. In fact, there's a passage that talks about that. Let's look at it. Uh, this is Galatians chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, that's a sin, a problem uh, before the Lord, you who are spiritual should do what? Restore him the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself in that process, by the way, lest you be tempted to. But bear one another's burdens. So, the, so, and in so doing, fulfilling the law of Christ. What does bearing the burdens look like in this text? 
What does bearing the burden look like in this text? If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit. You know what it looks like? You were caught in sin, and I'm going to help you walk out of it. You were caught in sin, I'm going to walk with you until you're not entangled in that sin anymore. That's what carrying the burden means here. It's not just helping them pay their rent. It's not, no, no, no. You are entangled in whatever this is, and we are going to walk with you until we get you on the straight and narrow. You have a brother with you who's holding you up in that process. That's the context of that passage. James chapter five, verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to who? Wait, now time out, you should confess your sins to God. James got this all wrong. I mean, come on, you should confess it to God, not to people, right? What is he talking about here? Maybe we should just take that verse out of the Bible. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So when you confess it to one another, you reveal that you're struggling to somebody else. They pray for you, and then what happens? That you might be healed. And the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you know why you haven't had victory in your life? You haven't had the guts to say something. In the process of you saying something, Satan has gotten into your heart and convinced you that you should tell nobody. Shh, shh, shh. Nobody struggles like you do. They won't understand you. And in the process of telling no one, you didn't get somebody on your team who would hold you up, bear the burden with you, walk with you, and pray. And that prayer could be answered by God. The reason you haven't found victory is you hadn't told anybody. That person, those people, would pray for you and break the bind that's around you. But Satan's convinced us to go quiet. Shh, don't tell anybody I struggle with that. Nobody struggles with that. My favorite one, Proverbs 27, 17. You've heard this before. And this, I, 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 I said ESV. This is the NIV version. I like it a lot better. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what we're supposed to be as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, yesterday I was going to the kitchen. I had a I think it was two days ago, and I was cutting off like the fatty parts of the chicken so I can bake. That's right, I cook, I cook, I know. On Fridays, my wife was working, so I cooked for the family, and it was good. My kids like my food. Anyway, so I'm cutting off the fat parts of the chicken, whatever, and before I got the, I don't know what you call it, like machete, I don't know, what, what is it, the big, the big knife. And I got the thing out, and I did the, the little sharpener, shoo, shing, shing, you know that little sound, shing, and you know, and, and there's friction when you do that. And sometimes there's even sparks when you do that. But it makes no sense to go to the chicken and try to cut it unless you're going to do that first. Why? Because you're going to be cutting with a dull knife. You need that friction to make it sharper so it makes your job easier. That's what the Bible describes as our relationship, that friction, shing, shing, shing. Ah, oh, man, my brother came to me and told me that I'm in sin or I messed up or whatever. But that friction develops us and we grow and we take another step in our faith towards God. But you gotta make yourself available to that and you gotta make yourself available to somebody else so you can be that for them and you gotta make yourself available so they can be that to you. Just as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. These words encourage, teach, admonish, carry burdens, confess, they're not passive ideas. Again, this is the most challenging of all of them. Uh, in, in sports terminology, when you go down, the whole team goes down. We're as strong as our weakest link. We are together, community. There is no I in community. We are together walking towards Christ. So when your marriage is in trouble, we offer support. When I say we, I'm not talking about the pastors. I'm talking about you. 
When your kids are in trouble, we pray with you and offer support. When you get hooked on alcohol, prescription pain meds, pornography, illicit sex, anorexia, believe it, we walk with you. If you are repentant, we walk with you. How can I be there for you, help you out of this? I, I want to help you with this. We're going to look back one day, and that's not going to be an issue anymore. We're going to give glory to God, and we will have done it together. It's not for you to do alone. You're in this in community. We carry the burden with you. Galatians chapter 6 again. When you or your child or your grandchild is struggling with their own sexual identity, we walk with you. And we, we walk with all the players involved. And pray to our Lord in the midst of that difficulty and trying to have compassion and love and truth along the way. But Satan plants this little plants this little ploy in our mind that we should do this on our own. And that strategy is what limits us from growing in our faith. What are some obligations we have towards one another? Love, service, discipleship. This is the hardest part, guys. How do we do everything I just described and just showed you 21 verses on? How do we do that in one hour a week on a Sunday? How is it even possible to do all that? You guys aren't even talking to each other right now. How can you encourage each other and exhort each other? And I'm doing all the talking. How do we do that in one hour a week? And by the way, if all the stats are correct, and, and, and most uh, American Christians think that they can serve their, their uh, obligation to the Lord by going to church once every four to six weeks, how do you do this in one hour and every four to six weeks? How is that possible? How do you do this online? It's one of the things that makes me the, the most concerned about this online mechanism. I, I love that we have it for our shut-ins and whatnot, and there's some real reasons, but how do we do this? If we're just on a screen and nobody's in our lives, how does this happen? To where we're carrying each other's burdens, exhorting each other, loving each other, serving each other, being hospitable. We have to be around each other, be hospitable. How do the one another's happen? And I'll tell you, this is why we've developed this growth group me mechanism. This is why we put our eggs in that basket. Because I know if you are in a growth group, that there's somebody who knows your name, knows your need, and is praying over you. I know that because that's what the growth groups are here to do. And if you find yourself in trouble, there's somebody that will love on you and help you walk through it. Not gonna, they, they love you. They're going to embrace it. Do you know this week, just this week in my growth group, there's a person in our church, a great, great man. He's, a, he's a, a lawyer, and he had a big deposition or a case or whatever, a closing. I don't know all the, the, the lawyer terms. So would you pray for me? I was really, I'll be up all night, and I'm going I'm to be talking, and it's a really big deal, and people's lives are on the line. And would you pray? And we said, yeah, we'll pray for you right now. And then you know what we said? What time are you, you going to be up? Excuse me, on this day at 10 o'clock, and about 9.45, the text message started happening. We're praying for you right now. We're lifting you up before the Lord. There'd be like a force field around you when you're up there. You are walking with the Spirit of God on your shoulders. You kidding me? If I went in that court, I'm like, watch out. I'm prayed up, and people are praying for me. You know? When you're in a group of people who love you, man, it's pretty special. When a need arises or when there's a concern and people are praying, it's pretty special. And they don't even have the same bloodline as you. It's pretty special.
leads me to the big idea. We will endeavor to foster an environment where biblical, the biblical one and others are practiced. We will endeavor to foster an environment where the biblical one and others are, are practiced. I can't make you go into a great group, uh, growth group. I'm going to rely on the Lord to let you know that you need that in your life. And then as you get in that, that's where all the one and others will happen. That's where you'll grow spiritually. That's where somebody will call you on the carpet. That's where they'll love on you. That's where they'll pray for you. All those things will happen in that setting. I pray more for the people in my growth group than I do for the rest of the people in this church. You know why? Because I can't know all of you. It's too many of you. But I can focus on about 12 to 14 people, and I can pray for them, and I can pray for their kids and their grandkids and their marriages, and I can focus in on them. And I know they're doing the same for me. We will endeavor to foster an environment where the biblical one another's our practice. By the way, if you're a man in this room and you want to find a place where you can open up, why don't you go to the men's retreat coming up in a couple weeks? That's your spot. Go there. Sign up. Let's go. Let's be brothers. Uh, I'm struggling. You don't want me there. That's exactly why we want you there, because you're struggling. And there was a day where I was struggling and somebody helped me out. We want to help you. I'm not struggling. Great. We need you there to help somebody else who is struggling. We need each other. We need each other. Well, let me show you how this plays out in real life. I give you many stories, but uh, I'll give you one today. Uh, this is one from several years ago, not necessarily at this church. And, and, and you can even call it like uh, uh, an illustration of going family deep with people who are not of your same bloodline. Remember years ago, there was a young man uh, in my growth group with my wife. There was probably about seven or eight couples in our growth group at the time. We all had young children. They were just newly married. They didn't have any children. Uh, they bought their house. We were so excited with them. We helped them move into their house. Everything's in there. We're putting everything away. It's like their first home. We're so excited. A couple months later, so we're trying to have a baby. We're praying over them to have a baby. Would you let them get pregnant? A couple months later, they're pregnant. Everyone's like rejoicing. Yes, our growth group's having a baby. You know, we're so excited. Three months in, they see the heartbreak. Praise God. There were some concerns, though, but they didn't want to share it with us until they knew that there was significant concerns, and so they stayed quiet about it, and we just rejoiced and continued to pray. And two months later, the doctor came back and said, actually, there's big complications with this child. We believe that the brain is not fusing together. If the brain doesn't find a way to complete fusing together in gestation, then there can be all kinds of complications with the baby's birth and the baby's life after birth. Remember the... Complications like blind, handicapped, and that was really the least of their worries. Would the baby even be able to live outside of the womb? That's when the doctor started talking about abortion. And I remember this couple saying, we will not do that. We'll let God take the baby home if he chooses, but we're not going to do that. And we prayed and prayed and prayed through the nine months of the pregnancy. And the baby was born. And it was a big joy that that baby was born because we didn't even think we were going to get that far. And I remember being there at the hospital with this couple. In fact, I remember my whole growth group being there at some point or another. We were there to do anything we could do to keep them in that, in that hospital room with that baby. You need a taxi driver, we'll pick up people from the airport. We'll pick, take people from home. You need food, we'll get you food. You need clothes, we'll stop by your house and get clothes. You need a blanket, what do you need? We're here to be the taxi drivers, do whatever you need so you can stay in that room with that baby. Your parents need to ride, her parents need to ride, whatever it needs to be, we will do it all. You need to go on a walk and just vent a little bit, get some fresher, we're there to walk with you. We'll do whatever you need to do so you can stay in that room. We did that. Two weeks goes along and this baby's now been uh, brought back to life about three times. The baby's brain had not completely fused and there's times where she'd just breathe. Our, our brains just tell us, tell us to breathe without us thinking about it. Her brain would 
go into phases where she wouldn't, the brain wouldn't tell her to breathe. And when that happened, they'd have to resuscitate her. Once the doctors confirmed this is gonna be something that she does with her whole life, the parents said, you know what, we're gonna, the next time this happens, we're going to let the Lord take the baby home. And they signed papers saying, don't resuscitate. I remember that decision. I remember being in the room, our growth group, her parents, his parents. We sang songs to Jesus, prayed over that baby. I'll never forget her holding her little baby in her hand, only two weeks old. And do you know what she said? Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to have two weeks to be this baby's mom. She didn't even think she was gonna get that. I got to see this baby in my arms. I got to kiss it. I got to tell her I love her. I got two weeks of being a mommy. And I'm grateful for the two weeks. Are you kidding me? It was in the dry eye in the room and we prayed and we worshiped and we prayed and we worshiped and we prayed some more and we worshiped. Finally, she had her little episode, and we worshiped that little baby into the arms of Jesus. Do you know who was in that room? His parents, her parents, and our growth group. Her biological family and her church family. Can I just give you a piece of advice that a mentor gave me a long time ago? If you wait until a time you need Christian relationships in your life, it's too late. If you wait to a time in, to where you need Christian relationships, if you wait till then to develop those relationships, it's too late. You want to develop them far earlier so they know that you know that they love you when you're going through it. I can give you story upon story upon story, like the time the husband came home drunk and the men in our growth group went to him and helped him get right. I can tell you about the time where the single parent mother found solace in our group and then her cancer came back. This time it was terminal. I can tell you about countless prayer requests that were answered as the group would pray together. I can tell you about times where children were restored to their faith after being out there for a little while. It works. People praying over your life works. And that's why I want everybody in this church to find some way, some group where you can go family deep, where somebody loves you like they're next to Ken, even though they're not. And so we will endeavor as a church to foster an environment where the biblical one and others are practiced. We believe that happens in homes, in circles, not in rows. And maybe God's calling you right now to be a leader in one of those groups because we need more leaders because the truth of the matter is if everybody decided to jump in a group, we don't have enough groups to, facil to facilitate that. We're headlong in a group right now. We have easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps. So if you want to start, January is your time. We'd encourage you. Get somewhere where you can go family deep with somebody. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we, uh, we learn to love because of the way you loved us. We learn to care because of the way you care for us. We learn to be there in a restorative nature because you had a restorative nature with us. We learn to have compassion and mercy because of your compassion and mercy. And we're called to be your hands and feet and look like you. They're Christ ones. They're little Christ ones. They look like Jesus. That's why they called them Christians. We look like you. Help us embody that. In a day and age where we have everything pulling for our attention, our kids need this. The ball teams, the, 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 the cheerleading squad, everything. The school needs help. Every, so many things. How do I prioritize God in my spiritual life? 
How do I do it now when I don't have a big low point in my life so that when the low points come, I have that established network of people to love me through it? Would you help us do that? Would you help us find that? And would be a stronger body because of it. We value this. We want this. But we need you in our lives to accomplish this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, not fair to make me cry and then make me come up here and talk on a microphone. What a great um, uh, challenge today to be there in each other's lives for uh, to be Christ in someone else's life from time to time. God will use us, but you got to make yourself available for that. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're just visiting and you don't, you're not a Christian. You haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think you're here by accident. I think God is trying to get through to your heart. Uh, maybe he's starting this process of drawing you to himself. Um, and at some point, I just pray that you would surrender and you would surrender to God's urging and say, Lord, I accept um, this offer to have this relationship with you. The Lord wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to bring you into his family and adopt you as one of his own. And then believe me, we as a church want that too. We want to adopt you into our family of believers here at CAMCC. But if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ and accept his offer of forgiveness, um, you can do that by just uh, saying a simple prayer in your heart where you say, uh, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiving. Would you please come into my life? I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give up in the world and the world's way. I'm going to pursue you in your ways. If you do something like that, and God's doing something in your heart, would you just let us know? We have a counter in the lobby on the left-hand side. There's people there ready to talk with you. We have a Bible if you don't have one. Uh, they'll answer questions if you still have questions um, and help you get started in your life with Christ. If you're joining us online, you go to campcc.net, click on Next Steps, fill out the little form there, and one of our pastors from the church will get back to you this week. All right, we're going to worship God through giving. Uh, it's uh, one of the ways we show honor and worth to him by saying, God, you're number one in our life. We want to be faithful with what the, the scriptures ask us to do in giving. Uh, and there's three ways to participate, as you can see on your screen. Um, and uh, you can do that at your leisure. If you're a guest with us, we I don't have an expectation that you partake in this part of the service. Um, now, before you leave, check out what's coming up next. Cam CC, I'm Sam Stevenson, the new K-3 director. I love getting to know your kiddos on Sunday mornings. If you have an interest in serving in the K-3 ministry, you can shoot me an email at sam at camcc.net. That's enough about me. I want to talk about you. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some amazing gifts for you to thank you for being here with us. You can head on over to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. If you're watching online, we want to hear from you too. Go to campcc.net slash next steps and we will hook you up. I am so excited about the Welcome Project, our new initiative that kicks off Sunday, October 30th and continues through November 6th, 13th, and 20th. October 21st through 23rd, men's retreat. Wives, nudge your husbands and encourage them to attend this weekend retreat in beautiful Malibu Canyon. Come on guys, how sweet is that? Check out the men's table on the patio for more information or email jimmoyer at camcc.net to sign up. It's coming up fast. October 21st, Middle School Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. 
Check this out. Different teams, different colors, competing against each other. It sounds intense. It is intense, but it's very exciting. Get ready to nerf it up. You can sign up at camcc.net slash nerfwar, bring $10 and your own gun. Need more information? Contact Jacob at camcc.net. of what's going on at CanCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to cancc.net. Well, I'm a total introvert, and if it was up to me, I'd just hide back there behind that curtain all Sunday morning. Um, I have a hard time with people. People are hard. <laughs> Relationships are hard. Um, but I think God uses those relationships that he puts us in, whether it's with our spouse, with our friends, with a growth group at church or whatever, to sharpen us so much. Um, I personally have been so blessed and grown so much just by being in a growth group ever since uh, my husband and I got married. And um, one of the cool things we did in those growth groups is we would keep a prayer journal of things we were praying for. And we were praying for things like babies, praying for houses, praying for jobs. And it's just so cool to see how God's answered those prayers over the years and how he's helped us all sharpen each other and grow with each other. Um, so I really encourage you to do that. Um, if it's your first, second, or third time here, we just have a gift for you back at that welcome counter in the back and would love to get to, uh, to know you and give that to you. So don't forget to stop by there on your way out. Um, if you're watching online, please go to camcc.net slash next steps. And um, there's a place where you can fill out a communication there. Um, please just be thinking about who you might want to invite with you next week. We would love you to just bring someone to join you and join us um, so we can get to know them, so we can be in relationship. Um, would you please just join us afterwards now for a donut and coffee out on the patio? Thanks for coming.